0: welcome to the Wellness Hub Podcast, a show dedicated to uncovering the future of healthy living. Each week, we aim to bring you content that supports your personal health journey through insightful conversations with amazing guests. We explore various topics ranging from healthy eating, technology, fitness, mindfulness, and more. Now let's join our host, Drew Monroe, co-founder and CEO of UpMeals, a Vancouver-based food tech startup on a mission to make healthy meals accessible through technology.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Wellness Hub. As always, we're thrilled to have you with us for yet another edition of Wellness Wednesdays. Every single week, we're hosting amazing guests and discussing important topics ranging from entrepreneurship and technology to health, wellness, fitness, and mindfulness. And as always, we hope you find these conversations valuable and insightful on your own wellness journey. Our special guest tonight, is a true leader in the local food movement, a technological visionary, and most notably, a tireless uplifter of people around him. I'm so excited for you to meet our guest tonight and hear his story, which has its humble roots in a food cart and eventually leads to the establishment of BC's most advanced shared use kitchen concept. Tonight, we'll be talking about what it takes to create a thriving food community, how technology can be leveraged to disrupt traditional business, and what it means to support a network of passionate entrepreneurs. Our guest tonight is the founder and CEO of Commissary Connect, a commercial kitchen concept operating on shared use technology that enables hardworking food entrepreneurs to rent space and equipment on a per-need basis. With three industrial kitchens and a thriving and growing network of food businesses, Commissary Connect is redefining The local food industry. We're excited for our guests tonight to shed light on how technology can transform traditional business models, what the future of Canada's food industry will look like, and much more. As we discuss these important topics, a reminder please comment with your questions on Facebook, on YouTube, on Instagram, or wherever you're watching. We will be answering audience questions all throughout the show today. So without further ado, Please welcome our special guest this evening, the founder and CEO of Commissary Connect and a true culinary crusader, Sarb Munn. Sarb, welcome to the Wellness Hub.
0: Thanks, Drew. And thank you for having me. This is really cool.
1: So Sarba, I want to dive in. I want to talk a little bit about your, your educational background because I think it's actually really fascinating. So I understand initially you wanted to be a stockbroker and then you pivoted to become an accountant, of course. So, you know, first of all, what what got you into the world of finance and what prompted you to make that
0: initial pivot? Um, oh, what's you know what? As any, you know, entrepreneur would know, I mean, you, you, you kind of have a... I mean, you take you take your whole life and your your whole career, basically building this tool chest of really cool things that you're able to like lean back on and and jump forward with. Um, finance is just one of those things. So I I've, I mean, this is a, such a funny story because I never wanted to be a stockbroker to start off with. I never wanted to be an accountant. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember doing our career and personal planning classes, and the, the only thing that would ever come up for me was entrepreneur, and it was terrifying. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, it's like, okay, well, how do I make a career out of that? Mm. Um, I remember, you know, going into professional sales. Um, I, I got my diploma at BCIT, ended up getting a, uh, a bachelor's, of a business admin, moving to the UK, working in PR. Um, had a couple investments um, that that were kind of taking over pretty well. When I moved back to uh, when I moved back to Canada, I'm like, oh, "That's cool. I mean, that was that was a great way of making money. I mean, just having money sit around and make money." Upon that money, so mm-hmm. um, I really wanted to jump into that. I, I got my Canadian securities, I, you know, got my mutual funds, a whole bunch of other stuff that essentially got me ready to, you know, take that leap. And then it was 2008, and the whole market oh, crashed. Got it. Got <laughs> so it. Um, back to the drawing board. I um, I did a little bit of soul searching, looked around on BC jobs, and the only jobs that were out there at that time were accounting jobs. And so I bit the bullet. I was never really good at numbers. Uh, I was always more of, you know, a, a salesperson, uh, you know, a, a bit more of a, an ideas guy. Uh, bit the bullet, did the uh, CPA designation. Um, it was probably the most important thing I'd ever done. Um, after getting that designation, I, um, I ended up starting a food truck. And um natural progression.
1: As one
0: does. Yes. <laughs> natural <laughs> progression. It was funny because I mean, um I mean one of the amazing counselors in Vancouver, her name is Heather Deal. Um she's no lo- she's no longer um part of the Vision Vancouver, I don't think. Uh, but I mean she, you know, came up with this great idea. I think she may have gone to New York and said, Hey, these food trucks are a really cool idea. We really want to bring them back to Vancouver. It was funny because I mean the first year that they were announcing these food trucks, um, they were uh, doing it by a lottery system. Yeah. I, yeah. So I was doing my, uh, my entrance exam. I mean, the CPA, um, designation was actually, uh, there was three designations prior to that. So the CMA was one of them. I was doing the CMA. I was midway through my entrance exam. And my sister said, you know what, you really got to apply for one of these food trucks. And, uh, and, uh, I, to be honest, I just didn't have the time. And I said, you know what, if it's that good an idea, it'll come back. And she's like, sorry, you know, you always have these good ideas and you're never really following through on them. Mm. Um, but I mean, thankfully, I, I didn't go for that first one. I actually went the second year and they were actually all based on business plans. And I ended up getting right. two licenses that year. And, uh, and Soho Road Non-Kebab was born, which was a, a probably the, the funnest job ever. I mean, owning a food truck in uh, 2011, 2012 was the best thing ever. And yeah. So
1: talk, talk to me a little bit about the concept of the so, Soho Road. So what, what inspired you? Did, you? did you come up with the concept in the menu yourself? Did you have collaborators? Like Walk me through that.
0: I did. I did. Wow. Okay. So as you can see, I'm in a suit. I typically am not in a you, suit. You very, no. very sharp. I appreciate well, I, it. I'm, yeah. uh, I'm actually, I mean, I, I just jetted out from my nephew's wedding to, uh, to of course, <laughs> be on this lovely podcast with yourself. So, um, I appreciate so, it. So, so the coolest thing about these Indian weddings for me was standing around, and of course, everyone having drinks, and watching that tandoor guy pull out this amazing tandoori chicken and fresh naans coming out of this clay oven. And I'm like, oh, that's so cool. How cool would that be? Downtown Vancouver in a food truck, and that was kind of mm. how it all started. So, mm. um, so Soha Road Non-Kebab. There was two tandoor ovens in it. We could only, I mean, if it didn't come out of a tandoor oven, if it wasn't fresh, we didn't serve it. Uh, we ended up getting the number one spot in Vancouver, which is Granville in Georgia, um, mm. and that was it. I mean, I was, I was fully committed. And I remember actually, I mean, I was a fully designated uh, a CPA or a CMA at the, at the time, accountant. And I remember it coming home uh, <laughs> and my dad saying, okay, well, how many sales did you make today? And I'm like, oh, I sold like eight kebabs or eight non-kebabs, right? Which obviously wasn't a lot of money. And he was like, Ah, oh, how much would you have made as an accountant? And I remember that, <laughs> right? I mean, typical, typical Uh-oh. Indian dad, yeah. typical Indian yeah. dad, Uh-oh. right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's coming at me saying, Okay, well, you know, you could have been doing something. You know, you could have been a professional sitting behind a desk somewhere, wearing a shirt and tie. Um, so I. Um, I really doubled down on it. And I thought, you know what, there is no way. It's basically like burning your burning your boats, right? I was like, okay, yep. well, I'm not going back. I have that designation. I could fall back to it if I ever wanted to. But what I'm going to do now is commit myself to business. And I mean, that mm-hmm. thing that terrified me as a child of, okay, I'm going to be an entrepreneur as my career. I leaned into it and I leaned into it hard. So I mm-hmm. learned, I literally learned how to, you know, use a Tandoor from Google. Um, I ended up hiring the best chef ever uh uncle i mean just, mm. if you go back in some of my youtube videos at soho road you'll see uncle we we're on Eat street at the time so wow. um i mean i mean there was this x factor i hope you don't mind me rambling drew i'm just gonna this is a
1: rambling type of podcast yeah oh, absolutely well, okay, good, this good. is the place well, This is ra- the space for it i, I I'm, I'm sure our listeners are your, enjoying this
0: yeah i'm gonna ramble your ear off then okay so um so i'll, I'll tell you a really cool story so so when um when we started that food truck, uh, we had um, we had no signage on the outside, okay? so this is this is an entrepreneur mind at work in the beginning. Firstly, I had no money. So um so I had no money for signage. Uh, I had this really cool idea. I had this cool chef, and we started this food truck. And um, I mean, this, this guy was amazing. Like I said, he kind of kind of came out of nowhere. It's like that X factor in business, right? Sometimes you can, you can plan for things and sometimes you just can't. And I remember that the Guardian newspaper around that time um, did a story on, uh, so the Guardian newspaper in the UK did a story on um, Vancouver having some of the best street food in the world. And that was the very first year that the food trucks had come out. And I mean, we had some solid chefs, right? I mean, we had, you know, Um, Josh Wolf, who was doing uh, Fresh Local Wild. We, of course, had Hamilton, who was doing the Mom's Cold Cheese. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, there was Jappa Dog, which is like a staple household name, right? So, um, so Soho Road, no signage on it, just parked on the side of the street. And it just so happens that that day, um, Uncle, who our chef had called in sick, and a buddy of mine, Mike, who who you know, um, uh, was working the food truck and kind of like keeping everything warm as I went to go drop the truck off. So part of the food carting or food trucking life is you got to go move that truck, come back and jump in and get to work. So while I had gone to go drop that truck off, uh, the cameraman. uh, So so basically Global News had picked up the story of of, um, of Vancouver having some of the best street food in the world. They want to do a story. So they took around uh, Top Chef Canada, who was Dale McKay at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he had just started a, a, a restaurant in Vancouver. So he kind of made it his place. I mean, he was like a, a huge celebrity. I remember he, that. Yep. Yeah. So so they were going to take him around food truck to food truck and just try a whole bunch of them and, um, you know, just, just see what the scene, what all the hype was all about. I can't remember the the reporter that was with him, but I mean, this, so so he goes around, uh, but be- before he did that, his cameraman had somewhere to ha- had to park somewhere, so he parked literally right beside our food truck. Um, it was on Howe Street, and he hopped down. He goes, "Oh, what do you guys do?" And like I said, Uncle never he never spoke English, so if Uncle was working on that food truck, Uncle probably wouldn't have said hi. Mike yeah. just happened to be in the food truck, started talking to this cameraman, and the cameraman said, "Oh, well, you're not even on our map." So Mike explained what we did, again, which Uncle would not have been able to do. The cameraman said, oh, this is cool. Maybe we'll put you guys at the at the last, you know, as one of the last guys. You're not really on this map of food trucks that's already out here. You don't really have any branding, but we'll come by and take a look. So they went and, uh, you know, stopped off at all these amazing food trucks. And the last one was ours. Uncle was co- had called in sick. So I'm making the naan. I have barely made any nods, I'm burning them. I'm dropping them. It's a complete nightmare for me. And um, Chef Dale McKay and the whole camera crew and everybody comes in. And it just so happens that that one that I pulled out there was perfect. Mm. Next thing you know, I, I got you know i put the tandoori chicken on there again perfect put the butter chicken yep. sauce on it set it all up i was still very novice like i said we had no signage on the card there was i didn't have a you know uh, i didn't have a script which typically happens as a food trucker yet, but you know exactly what you're talking about um we handed this off to him he walks off kind of see him eating it he's walking back and he goes sticks his thumbs up and he goes best thing i've had all day wow and, awesome yeah, yeah okay. oh man so, 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 so that happens in the day, uh, later on that night, I I believe it was on the six o'clock clock clock news. Uh, food trucks are, you know, all the rage. Uh, next thing you know, uh, Dale McKay, um, you know, says it on camera. They said, okay, well you have, you have friends in from out of town. You only have one food truck to take them to. Where do you go? And he's like the Tandoori guy. The next day (laughs) we went from selling, like I said, eight non kebabs, right? We went to having a 45 minute hour long lineup. Wow. That was it. Right? Wow. That's yeah, that started it. Yeah, isn't that insane? Isn't a that
1: crazy circumstance and piece of press? And you were probably at that point like we should probably get a sign. Like we should probably get a sign. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> so, okay. So you, you've got this concept. You're kind of rolling now. You're getting into like kind of the food truck economy of, of what it's like to be an operator. And, yep. and you probably realize one of the major pain points of food truck operators is having, having a commissary, right? Finding a place to have all your stuff so talk to me about where the idea for commissary connect came from now in relation to that
0: Got it. Um, so, yeah, you're right. So, I mean, when the food truck started, I mean, it was such a new industry, right? So we had all these amazing entrepreneurs and chefs, but really nobody knew what they were doing, right? So we had chefs that had never operated a food truck. We had uh, food truckers that were like, like myself, completely green, right? So we had no idea what we were doing either. And there was so many extra logistical challenges to not only having a kitchen, but now having a kitchen on wheels that you have to drive somewhere and you have to have a back-end commissary. So commissaries weren't really a thing before the food trucks came around. Um, we ha- I literally had to Google what a commissary was when I first started. So I um, mm-hmm. Googled what a commissary was. There was only a, roughly two of them in Vancouver at the time. Um, the first one that we started off was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a great place to start off. Um, it was, You know, regular commissary, kind of grandfathered in, uh, really had no cooking equipment or anything else like that. It was a whole, but it was very landlord focused. So just stuffing a whole bunch of people into a space and seeing how much rent they could collect right now. It it didn't really fit the model. At the right. same time, like I said, we had these these amazing entrepreneurs that really didn't have much structure and didn't really understand what was going on with it. So what happened was that the the first batch of food truckers, we we created the Food Truck Association. So it was the, the Vancouver Street Food Association. So it was one of the founding members for that. And it was really cool to be able to have this connectivity of, you know, you'd come back from, you know, everybody would have their own spots in Vancouver. You'd come back, have a couple of drinks together, relax and chill and kind of like swap some more stories about what happened in the day, especially having it be such a brand new thing. Um, and I thought it'd be cool if we could like meld those two together. Right. I mean like that the kitchen, mm-hmm. we had a kitchen that really didn't provide much support. We had this association that was kind of doing one thing. Like, why couldn't that kitchen be the place that would be able to provide the levels of support that you needed? Um, and that was kind of what, where it started from. I'm like, I could, I could do this. I mean, this this seems mm-hmm. like something that's doable. Um, I also understood very quickly that, I mean, the, the kitchen that we're at, it didn't have any cooking equipment in it. Yeah, We had to, uh, we basically had to graduate from that kitchen to a, to a, a gorgeous kitchen um, and the people that made that kitchen should be very proud of themselves it was it was woodlands um, woodlands commissary um, and the, and and um you know, the, the guys that they did, I mean, they, they really had the right idea. Um, they had, um, you know, a massive space. They had all this amazing equipment. I believe they were doing hot dogs or something like Smokies or something for themselves. And there were also a commercial kitchen that some of the, you know, the best food in Vancouver came from. So we had, um, Ernest ice cream was in there with us. We had, wow. um, we had Cartem's donuts. So I remember watching, we'd all like, we'd work together. So I remember late nights, I'd be like making sub and we'd be having, you know, like, cause we'd move over there. We'd have our, you know, veg subji, which is the one item that I actually needed a kitchen for. And I remember thinking, oh my God, like my rent has almost quadrupled uh, because I needed just this cook line. And and, I mean, the issue with this kitchen space was although it was beautiful and it was big and it had all the bells and whistles, there was so much overhead. So as, as an operator, I'm like, dude, I just need to pay for that one burner. Why can't I just pay for that one burger mm. why do i have to pay for these smokers do I, that I don't need this other stuff
1: yeah exactly that's yep. right
0: and, and yep. honestly that, that's where the idea of commissary connect was born so so we thought okay and i was very open and upfront with the guys at, at woodlands i said listen I'm, I'm building my own commissary i mean like this is kind of my, my transition of where i'm heading um you know the space that i'm in right now doesn't work because i have this one menu item that i can't cook there and they, they were they were very supportive they were, they were really really cool guys so i ended up going and um you know leasing uh a site at four hundred and one Industrial Avenue, uh, which is essentially like the grandfather of all kitchens now, because it's the only one from that era that's that's still around and essentially still bumping. So, um, so we we came up with the idea of you know, like let's let's make it so that. The people that are in these kitchen spaces are only paying for what they need. And that's really where the whole model came from. I mean, you're in the food industry, you know that you have the ups and downs, right? I mean, there's seasonality in, in food trucks, especially. And that was the mindset that I have. I mean, I'd never been in a food business before. I'd never been a chef. Um, but I understood that, you know, like it, in the, in the up, you know, upswing, I mean, you're making more money, you're using the equipment more. It makes sense that, I mean, your your variable costs are tied to, you um, T- tied to that usage. So yeah. so what really made sense to us at that point was creating this technology and Commissary Connect is actually the name of the tech. It's 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 not actually the name of the kitchens. That that you know the name of the technology was Commissary Connect and essentially what that was going to do was connect all these commissaries together. So we knew there was some inevitabilities in how the model would work. Um, and, you know, a, a few of those inevitabilities was, you know, number one, it's always going to be cheaper, to, especially in the food business, right? So when you know that there's, uh, it's, it's quite, quite volatile, and it's quite hard to get started and get your feet, you know, grounded and understand what's going on, and the turnover rate is very high. Um, it's always going to be cheaper to start off in a shared use environment than having your, mm-hmm. than, you know, having your own space, which is, which is number one. Uh, yeah. Number two of course, I mean, like, if you have this collection of, um, of like-minded entrepreneurs, I mean, the site has to be more than just a building. I mean, it has to be able to harness the collective power of those people. So whether that is collated supply chain, I mean, helping all those entrepreneurs, you know, buy their supplies together, hopefully buy them locally, uh, and then be able to help those entrepreneurs be able to sell those products somewhere, right? I mean, so because we had people that were, you know, trying to, you know, Sell their products from, you know, themselves, and at the same time they're trying to run a business. At the same time they're trying to do their books, and it's like, okay, well, we can handle a lot of that back end, right? I mean, again, I mean, this is where, um, you know, the, the the CPA and and um, all of that, you know, experience and all of that learning that mm-hmm. I had that I had gained along the way really kind of came into place. And, and the, you know, the, the time that I had spent, the brief time that I had spent as being a financial advisor, yes. right? I mean, a, a KYC and knowing your client, I mean, knowing who these entrepreneurs are and knowing where they want to go. I mean, that was central to why you wanted to connected to, to be what it was. So essentially be that network or be that platform of connecting amazing entrepreneurs to all the resources they need. Right. So and, so essentially and we and have we have a shared meeting. use space. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
1: I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, some of these amazing that you've sort of served a purpose in incubating. Almost, you, you you referenced a few of them, but you know, the Commissary Connect model is so fascinating. We'll explore that. But you guys are home to such a diverse array of businesses and entrepreneurs that are benefiting from what you've created. Talk to me a little bit about some of the amazing businesses that are are part of the Commissary Connect family.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, well, you guys are one of them, right? I mean, you—you, you, I mean, watching your growth and and watching how you were be able, you know, were able to scale from you know, uh, 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 basically a, a concept all the way up into what you've created today. I mean, that's been absolutely amazing to watch. Uh, I mean, everyone at the Thanks. Laurel Street facility. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, you could you can take that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you've been absolutely amazing man i mean you you have um you're really the, the the perfect model of of how this works and i mean and and you know you are, are you know you've done your raise i mean you're you're you know going to go public um, and and there's a number of other organizations another a number of other companies that are doing the same thing and, and these companies I mean like the barriers to entry to start something like this you you know how it is I mean mm-hmm. when you have a concept and you're starting out I mean it's very hard to throw that type of capital towards something that is just a concept and with the commissary connect model I mean you're able to create that concept you're able to scale you take on stations as you need them you only pay for the appliances that you're using and now you what you have what you have is a uh, an actual understanding of how that business is going to grow and you're going to be able to start networking to more and more facilities as we start creating more of them, totally. So, I mean, this scalability across uh, and and the, the creation of this network is really important. But I mean, other other companies we have, Goodly, which has been a uh, you know a, an anchor at Laurel Street for um, since it started. So, Goodly is surplus tomatoes that typically would have gone to a landfill and. Um, I mean, a, a concept that was born from, uh, from Fulmer Capital. I mean, it was, there was a bunch of amazing partners in there. I think Potluck was one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Commissary Connect, of course, was, was a contributing partner for them. So when they started off at Industrial Avenue, they were able to grow into the HACCP facility. They are mm-hmm. one of the first companies that actually got a shared use HACCP license. So essentially, um, I mean, HACCP, wasn't a thing. I mean, Shared Use HACCP wasn't a thing, right? So, I'm being mm-hmm. able to crack that code at Laurel Street of saying, okay, well, a barrier of venture, eventually you have a commissary and you want to start selling your products to a Costco or like, you know, the Whole Foods, et cetera. I mean, you need a higher level of food safety. How do you do that in a shared use environment? I mean, really teasing and pulling that apart and being able to understand how that model would work. So, we were able to replicate that model over and over again, as, you know, especially into the 12 food hubs that are happening. I mean, that's uh, that's some cool stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm going a little bit further than I should. Like I said, you, you, you gave me some leeway to ramble and I just rambled my way into the next topic
1: you, you, no no it's 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 all good sarb i mean I, I i you're such an energetic guy like i always say like talking to you is like having a strong like cup of coffee like right right when you need it like you're just such a you're such a ball of energy and i and i love it and I, I want you. you touched on something earlier which is you know this problem that you solved essentially which is i'm i'm a chef i need to use this one burner to make this one dish i don't need the smoker i don't need the deep fry i don't need this so talk to me about the proprietary technology that you developed to track all of this and make it successful
0: for your for your tenants. Yeah, of course. So, so I mean, the, the whole concept here is, like I said, each one of these companies um, will, you know, I mean, we really want to focus on keeping their variable costs as, as close to their model as possible. So, um, so what was what was. Um, I wouldn't call it obvious, but what really stuck out to me, especially when I'm working in these other kitchens, working over at Woodlands or working at the previous kitchen, was you can have as large a kitchen as you want, but if everybody needs the appliances all at the same time, I mean, you're going to hit some bottlenecks. So firstly, how do you schedule who uses what piece of equipment? How do you let the members schedule what piece of equipment they need? How do you ensure that that equipment is going to be available for when they need it? And how do we ensure that that equipment is just not being abused and being left on all night. I mean, so before the technology came in, um, we, you know, we'd have an oven that would run. Don't forget our kitchens are open 24 hours a day. Right. So we'd have ovens that would run for three days. And, you know, you, if you go in and take a look be like, Oh, well I was on it. And then this next person came on it. And then I mm. guess after somebody else came on it. And I mean, that way, that level of waste, um, especially when you're in a, in a model where you're trying to help these, entrepreneurs grow, and you're also trying to understand exactly what their usage looks like so you can see how you can maximize capacity in the site. I mean, that was that was really the key, right? So understanding which companies are using which piece of equipment, how they were able to reserve them, and then having some sort of a pricing model that was tied to it so I mean, they understand exactly what that cost looks like. Uh, that was really the premise of it. Um, what we were able to do is is create a technology that is now um, re- that has now received its um, US patent which is huge news wow. and congratulations an, it's yeah. wow. to you <laughs> because this hasn't really been announced yet but it, it has received well, it patent. All,
1: our listeners are getting this information now so I don't know uh, but yes uh, but absolute that's a massive achievement uh, congratulations yeah. Sarp. yes yeah, so, wow. what,
0: so what that means I mean for for for, for Canada and, and BC etc I mean this this IP, this IP technology. I mean, you see valuations for ghost kitchens and all these other things that are happening in the States with, you know. Mm-hmm essentially competitors like cloud kitchens and kitchens United I and mean, these are Google back ventures I mean valuations you know in the in the millions right so what we were able to do is really nail down the um, the core of that business model so the core of a shared use space is going to be that capital equipment how do you manage that capital equipment how do you understand who's using that piece of equipment how do you understand um, that that piece of equipment is being uh, tracked so when it is in use and when it's not being used and by who and how many hours that piece of equipment has been run so you Can have some preventative maintenance done on it all of these pieces really are central to the commissary connect technology so essentially what you do when you come into a commercial kitchen one of our one of our commissaries or one of our connected facilities is what we call them now because as you know we have more and more partners that are putting the technology into them and and then and the network is growing Um, essentially what you're able to do is you log in um, uh, every every company is able to log in uh, individually Um, you're able to turn on the piece of equipment so you only have access to the piece of equipment that you want what that does is let's just say you know Meals has an amazing piece of equipment over at Laurel Street, and you may not be using it 24 hours a day, but you want somebody, you know, you're okay with another company, let's just say Goodly using that. Now, Goodly is able to go in and log in and turn that piece of equipment on, and a percentage of that profit or a percentage of that revenue goes back to up meals because it is your piece of equipment. So now what we've done is we've reduced the redundant piece of equipment in the kitchens. We've maximized revenue for yourself because even though you're not using that piece of equipment, it is still earning money for you because somebody else needs it. Um, It's also tracking all that usage. It has post operation, you know, uh, SOPs, essentially standard operating procedures. So, I mean, you, as, as you know, as we know, we're in the HACCP facility of Laurel Street. I mean, that level of food safety is, is integral and record keeping of who used which piece of equipment when, when it was maintained. All of these things are central to how the, the level of food safety um, is going to work. I mean, like if in shared use spaces, what you want to ensure is that the level of food safety does not slip right? Um, mm-hmm. so, so having all of those pieces in place in this technology and now having the IP and the patent around it, especially the US patent. So we have the Canadian patent, which is, uh, we've been working on these patents for five years. So the mm-hmm. Canadian patent um, is in its, its final stages. The US patent has already come through. Um, we have the EU patent coming out now. And now, you know, as you know, the Commissary Connect model and, and the branding and, and everything else that we have in place, I mean, Essentially, what we're trying to do is just really focus on those members, right? So we're showing members how you can grow, how you can scale. I mean, essentially, upmeals could, you know, grow all the way across the province without putting a dollar in for capital if you really wanted to, right? It could tie into the next connected facility. All yep. those invoices are done the same way. You know exactly what time your employees walked in those doors, turned on a piece of equipment, which piece of equipment got turned on. And essentially that starts moving itself into collated supply chain. So essentially all of the members in the network can be able to buy local inputs, right? We can start tracking those local inputs. We can start understanding the demand of tomatoes, let's just say, in, in, the, in the sense of Goodly. We can start, you know, helping collective purchasing. We can like reduce the number of trucks and deliveries on the road. I mean, there's a lot, that can be done here from this central Mm. piece of technology. But that is essentially the the one piece of technology that you definitely need. So I mean, having the IP on that is is huge for us. Being able to scale this and really trying to change our mindset. I mean, we don't really have much competition in the space that we're in right now. I mean, we have a partnership with the Ministry of Agriculture, which you know. I mean, there's twelve, I and mean, based on the Commissary Connect model, on on based on the Laurel Street shared first provincial food hub and the pilot and demonstration site that we created, they are um, there's now twelve. Regional food hubs across the province that are all going to be connected, hopefully via this technology, um, and they're all going to have that same level of um, service provided to their members, same level of of scalability, of you know of support. So we have an EIR program, an expert in in residence program that is sponsored by Van City, who are an amazing partner of ours. Uh, I mean, all of these amazing local food stakeholders are coming together around a model that works, right? Uh, I mean, when, when it when we first started. <laughs> When we first started and, and created Commissary Connect, um, I mean, you know, to talk about um, Good Fortune or, to, or talk about X Factor again, um, this was maybe five years ago, five or six years ago, um, that we, um, that the Ministry of Agriculture wanted to uh, announce their um, uh, their uh, food strategy for 2020, and that it was a, it was a while ago as well before 2020, um, and they find a cool place to announce this this from. So I remember Ronica and I. So Ronica, my wife, and I we had a uh, we had just gotten married. We we're newly married. Our first trip was going to be to New York uh, because she loves New York, and um, so she was she had already flown out there. And I think we had gotten a call from uh, the good people at BCFPA. It's called bcfb now i believe um so bc food and beverage and they said hey listen like you know we just become a member we had we had announced that you know we really want to tie in and have that level of support for our membership through them and mm-hmm. they said well the the ministry wants to announce this strategy would it be okay if they announced it at, at your commissary we've never seen a commissary before but, uh you know so so tanya tate who was who was the person there at the time she came down took a look at the kitchen and she said yeah this is perfect this is where we we'd want mm-hmm. to and Right, So next thing you know, the ministers are there. Um, I believe Lana Popham, who's the current minister now, she I believe she was the ag critic then. She came in, the deputy minister at the time, Derek Stucco, amazing guy. The whole team, it was huge. It was like, it was one of those, um, um, like, I don't get tongue-tied very often or I don't get nervous very often. I was very nervous. I had to speak on camera and I, I completely messed the whole thing up. But um, they came in, they saw these amazing entrepreneurs all creating wicked products i showed the technology off and i remember after the tour was over um the deputy minister at the time terek Suko, came over to me and goes listen you need to talk to the guys at ubc they've been working on something really cool for a while um it's an innovation center um but we think you may be the missing piece because i mean it's very research and and, and um academic focused and we need the tie-in for the entrepreneurs and we think you may have something here so we connected in. I sat on the innovation board uh, over at UBC. I now I'm on the faculty advisory board for land and food sciences. But at the time I sat on that board, we had a conversation, and um, they wanted to create a you know, an innovation center at UBC uh, um, on the endowed lands, I believe. And um, Ricky said, you know. Ricky Yare is, is the dean, a great guy, by the way, the dean at, at Land and Food Science at UBC. He said, "Sorry, you know what? Like this, this perfect, this makes sense. I think they had their whole group come in, view the kitchen, see what happened. I showed the technology. I showed, I was very early stages back then. Yeah. And they said, you know what? This, this is really, really cool. So uh, essentially what happened is Ricky and I went down to um, meet, uh, we went down to Victoria to, to meet the, um, the deputy minister and, uh, and his team. Um, and we pitched the concept. So essentially, an innovation center. Tied into regional food hubs that would emulate kind of what Comms connected. So instead of just having a innovation center at UBC, how do we make the whole province an innovation center with amazing sites that are all networked in together? So that had that conversation happened about five years ago. It was written into the plan when um, when the the NDPs came in, in, into power. Uh, so Minister pop came in. It was actually written directly into there having regional food hubs, um, and and um, um, sorry, I'll, I'll let you get to the private chats. But essentially, no. yeah. You know,
1: getting- all, all good, Sarb. Yeah, I, I, I want to I understand. Uh, we're getting lots of questions from the audience. So I want to make sure we have a chance to to get them in. So I, I want to just sort of understand for our listeners to sort of wrap their heads around this, this great information. This is sort of, you know, and I, 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 I hate to distill it. This this simply, but it's it's essentially it's it's co-working for for food companies, and they can access whatever they need, whatever service they need, whatever level of support they need, and pay for only the services that they need. And and anyone that's interested in a food business, what Sarb and his team have created is is ridiculously powerful for them to just have a lower barrier to entry and to access the market and to incubate these companies the way that they do so you know start the question i think that i have to ask for you is you, you know what is the future hold for commissary connect you've talked about this how many kitchens are you operating right now and what's the plan for the future
0: yeah, so, so we have three of our own sites. Um, we have a fourth partnership with, uh, with the Lazy Gourmet. It's called the Commissary Gourmet. It's in, in Kitsilano, so 1605 West 5th. Um, which is um, another common street. tied into the same technology. Uh, essentially, what we're starting to see is more and more um, amazing partnerships uh, being forged. So, um, I mean, the technology that we have. Um, I mean, from an operator standpoint. So, let's just say you had a you had a commercial kitchen space that was sitting idle or didn't have enough people in it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, But you really didn't know where to get started. So, essentially, what we are is a plug and play model, right? So, we come in. We come in with our technology. We come in with all this this um, you know the amazing eight years of experience and eight years of knowledge that we have with our amazing Partnerships with Van City, et cetera, and what we're able to able to do is create a food hub. So, um, so what we've been able to do in the last little while is we were, we're working on a licensing model, um, a technology model, where or um, a model where we're able to plug and play and basically create joint ventures. So, the, the Lazy Gourmet is a great example of that. We have a couple of more of those in the pipeline uh, across the Lower Mainland. Um, we also have the regional food hubs, the provincial uh, food hubs, which are um, you know some of these food hubs are owned by the city. So like the city of Cornell owns one of them, Uh, the Port Authority and um, Port Alberni owns one. There's one at Salmon Arm. They're they're across the province and they were tied into this overall strategy. Uh, We're putting uh, tech into a lot of those to help connect all of those. Um, What we're also able to do, I mean, if we're going to fast forward five years from now, essentially what we'd be able to do is have the ability for uh, any entrepreneur or uh, or any food entrepreneur or any entrepreneur, landlord, et cetera, to be able to create food hubs or amazing, um, you know, amazing food destinations, I suppose, uh, as we go along. Uh, I I mean, I I shy away from the whole ghost kitchen model just because, I mean, I think we're more than that. Uh, We would be almost the un-ghost kitchen, right? Where a ghost kitchen would go in and, uh, you know, they're looking for major brands and they're just gonna like have a Burger King on every corner or a Wendy's on every corner. Uh, What we're really trying to do is grow some amazing local brands, right? I mean, like people like to die for banana breads, people like yourself, of course. I mean, like we have, have, there's just so many, hundreds and hundreds of food businesses that have started from us and now have their own spaces or if they have, you know, or they're, uh, um, you know, or they're a delivery-only model, or some of them that did, just didn't continue doing it. Some of them are just food trucks, right? I mean, so we have these yeah. rental, rentable food trucks. So let's just say you want to get in the food truck market. I mean. Typically, what you would have had to do before is go find a tr- find a location somewhere. Hopefully, you get one, uh, build a food truck, and then try to start that food business. And you may mm-hmm. be like three years into it, and you said, "Ah, this probably isn't for me anymore." So, what we do is we have the ability of of uh, having food trucks that are available for rent. We have downtown locations. We help you get it up. We help you set it up. We know with with our amazing partners at Van City. I mean, uh, that you know, we, we help you understand how that model works. And if it's not for you, it's not for you. Right. I mean, that's that's completely okay. I mean, this way, you know, that fear that I had of being an entrepreneur and oh my god, where's the job security here? I mean, we don't want people to feel that way. We want people to mm-hmm. go out and try something and have all the support around them, and then be able to help them grow. Right. So, um, so so that would be really cool.
1: It's such a it's such a valuable role that commissary Connect and, and the team like it's played such a valuable role in the food economy here in in vancouver and it should be everywhere i think every major city should have a commissary connected i'm extremely biased but I, I as as a as a customer as someone who's used this model successfully i believe in what you're doing and we're getting to we have some audience questions pouring in here so i want to make sure we get to them i'm, I'm going to start off with a a hard-hitting question here right from right from facebook from zachary will the technology and the and the company ever go public
0: <laughs> uh. <laughs> you're on is, the spot um, hot seat 30 seconds that, now. Is, that is <laughs> very interesting I, I i um you know what you know what's funny is um this is so close and dear to my heart um and it's such an important thing i feel like it is it is larger than us now it is starting to become larger than us um does that mean that we need the funds i, I wouldn't say it's exactly that we need the money right now You know, I mean, like, I mean, we are, we are definitely a profitable business and everything's going well. And, you know, we've really grown from the ground up and and we understand what we're doing. It's tough. It's a tough question. It really is. I mean, I would love to be. Billy, I mean, as a business person, as as all, I mean, you know, money isn't everything, but I mean, you do have to have certain goals that you are aspiring to. And there's a number in my head, and it's big, right? And it's not it's big because I need that money, or because I'm going to drive a different type of car, or anything like that. But I mean, you measure yourself on you know benchmarks, and my benchmark is high. Um, So um, I I I won't say no. (laughs) I won't say that we won't go public. Um, I will say that there may be parts of the company that go public. So I mean, what's really important about this IP that I should mention uh, the intellectual property that we have on the shared use model is that it's not just kitchens, right? So uh, what we can do is, I mean, we can have, um, you know, I mean, there's there's the shared use model is not going away, but I mean, being able to manage resources, shared use resources, that's very important. So whether that's shared re- use woodworking shops or metal workshops or you know mm-hmm. maker spaces or anything else like that, where you need to reserve something, be able to come in and turn that on, etc., etc., etc. I mean, that is really what their IP holds, right? So, yeah. um, so. I, I would um zachary i gotta say i mean that's a really good question and that's something that i've been uh, that i've been wrestling with for a while because i mean we are we have gotten to a point where we knew that this thing was going to grow and it was going to really take off i've been very careful of not um exposing ourselves too much now with some with some ip in hand uh with the us patent in hand and um you know like a model that is revenue generating and we can, you know, we have like eight years of, of data and solid relationships with the Ministry of Agriculture and awesome stakeholders and tons of great companies like yourselves that are working through this model. I mean, it's 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 a possibility. Mm. That's-, <laughs> that's
1: that's 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 the that's the best answer you can give right now, and, and and it's super exciting what you're building. I mean this this has escalated into a into a pitch pretty quickly, which is great. It shows people are connecting to what you're what you're building, uh, Sarb, and and uh, and to your energy as well. We're gonna transition something uh, perhaps a perhaps a little a little lighter. So, uh, Sarb, what is this is a question from Instagram, by the way. What is your favorite food truck experience? And I'll ask you to exclude your own food truck because I know you're probably just like me, horribly biased uh, towards your own business, but. But what, what is your favorite food truck experience aside from your own?
0: Are, are we talking about food like eating at a food truck? Yes, like something that sticks I, I, out.
1: I'm gonna assume okay. that that is what the question is for. Yes. Okay. But Let's
0: let's just your favorite food truck. Okay, so I am um, okay. There's a food truck that's not around anymore. I don't believe they're around anymore. But he was one of our members, and his uh, the food truck was called Flip Top, um, and they had a pulled pork sandwich with fried crispy leeks on it, and it blew my mind Mm. the guy was awesome too He's, he's um oh his name is escaping me now he was hilarious he was such a partier I forgotten his name now but he was so you,
1: cool. I hope he's okay. Oh, what is it? <laughs> I'm just going to
0: tell you now and if he's watching or if he somehow finds out that I forgot his name, I mean that's going to suck. Because well, his, we'll his, his, we and, can
1: throw to it later. We can throw to it later in the yeah. YouTube description.
0: Yeah. Fair enough, fair enough. Sorry. Yeah. Fair enough. But I mean if, if um yeah, that was that was awesome. But I mean in general, I mean like if it, if what we're asking here was how, you know, where was where was the most fun for myself as a food trucker? It was really being behind that hand oven serving that food and I mean there's no other industry ever where you are creating a product from scratch handing it off and getting that customer reaction right to you mm. um i mean it's like that that's that's it. I mean, even if you're a chef in a, in a kitchen you don't get to see what the customers are saying or their face mm. expressions right you don't see that so i mean that was really cool that's what we're talking about and and,
1: and, and you touched on this earlier but maybe just for someone who might have missed it because it was right at the beginning of our talk so ha- the question from instagram is how did you go from a food truck business in 2012 to what you're doing now in 2021
0: um it, it was a natural progression so what was really funny so we started this food truck um sorry the only reason i'm holding this phone by the way and i'm just moving around a little bit is my uh my battery's about to go so i'm just trying to find it. the source Oh gosh Serb! oh my into. god oh i will not let us fail my friend oh
1: it's, it, it's there we go stay with us serp. are we're we good to the good stuff are we good you uh, we're getting to the
0: good stuff all right I, i'm not yeah okay. I, I ain't leaving i ain't leaving. It's the brand new phone. I will tell everyone, okay, so the most important thing for me as I left the house today was my nephew's wedding, which is why I'm dressed up. Um, But on the way, I dropped my phone and broke it. So I literally had to go run out and buy a new phone, which I'm just using as we speak. That's kind of what happened to you.
1: So wait, 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 all all of this elaborate suit and this decor, this was not done for us? Are you kidding me right now? (laughs) (laughs) This...
0: Of course it was. Uh, okay, thank I bought a brand you. new phone
1: for I, you. I, I, told, I told the whole team that this was all set up for us. Okay. Thank you, sir. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You're hilarious, dude. You're so funny. Hey, um, so, oh my God, what was the question? What, how did I transition did you from-, from
1: a food truck business, 2012 to what you do now in 2021?
0: Okay. So what happened was we started our, we started the food truck, um, that food truck. I mean, you want to hear some humble origin story. Um, so, Obviously, there's not a lot of money in food trucking, right? Not in the beginning, at least. So we were plugging away. I was working over at Woodlands. Uh, at the same time, I'm managing a construction site, and nobody really knows this. I mean, this is for your viewers That's... only at this point. Yeah, dude, there's so many exclusives for you. So um, I was I was exhausted. So I, I spent, essentially what used to happen at Woodlands is because it, what it didn't have a scheduled... Software, obviously, because Comstar wasn't around then. Um, So you would have to wait for somebody else to leave that space until you were able to jump onto it. So I didn't get my spot in that kitchen until probably eight p.m. So I'd come back, I'd work all night. Right? I had barely any staff because I couldn't afford them. Um, I'd read. driving that trailer back to Woodlands and unloading everything, washing all the dishes, making butter chicken. And those of you that have made butter chicken, you know, a good butter chicken takes about three hours of cooking. Um, Next thing you know, it's probably like two, three in the morning. Then I would jump in my car and drive back uh, to my parents' house in Richmond because um, while I was, you know, on this uh, crusade of having my own business, obviously we didn't have a lot of money, so I had to move back in with my folks. Um, And so going back and then waking up seven in the morning to go back to that job site, open the door for the contractors. Remember, almost falling asleep at the wheel one day and i'm like you know what that's enough of this mm. i literally got an inflatable mattress and started sleeping in the construction site so i used to sleep <laughs> so those what? of you that have worked at 401 <laughs> yeah, dude, i'm <laughs> not kidding i well what am i supposed oh to do okay, that i mean at least i was getting some I sleep re- so- i love it I used to have a gym downtown, so I used to go shower there. I used to wake up in the morning, if it could be like six in the morning before any of the contractors there, go brush my teeth. It was still because it wasn't a kitchen, obviously. It was just rubble, right? They like the ground was ripped up. It was, I mean that's all I could do at that point. So I literally go in, take a shower, get ready, pick up that cart which we used to be parked at 401, drive it over to Woodland, stock it up, and then go and cook for the day and to repeat the whole thing again so i mean i did that for a couple of weeks um before getting before that uh, getting started. okay yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Insane, this, this is, this is,
1: is yeah I, I i i love it and i'm sure i uh, thank you for sharing this uh, very <laughs> but, personal but, exclusive story with our with our listeners this is incredible and, and you know i i i want to i want to ask you something because all of this has kind of come to like coach one really great question that i'm i'm dying to know and that you know what has being an, you're almost a lifelong entrepreneur, right? So you, you said from an early age, this was always the draw. So what has being an entrepreneur, what's one lesson, whether it's personal or business or somewhere in between, what has being an entrepreneur taught you about yourself?
0: Um, you know what, I can sum it up. I can sum it up pretty quickly, actually. And this this actually just went through my mind today. It went through my mind as... Um, As I double booked myself, because I didn't know I was actually invited to this wedding because it was it was pre-COVID, right? So um, so all of a sudden we got the invite saying we're allowed to have these people. So I had obviously double booked, completely forgotten uh, that I had the podcast. Um, At the same time, like I said, the one thing I was supposed to do was keep that phone on me and make sure it was working. It slipped out of my hand, broke on the floor. And where a normal person would be like, oh, my God, I'm completely screwed. It was like, "Okay, well, how do we fix this? So I think if I were to talk about what it means to be an entrepreneur, I mean, what do we do typically, Drew? I mean, well, what are we doing, right? I mean, we are problem-solving day in, day out. Yeah. We are resource allocators, and we are problem-solvers. That's all we do, right? We have resources, finite resources, whether it's finite money or finite time, and we try to multiply that. Um, so there's different ways of multiplying money, obviously, that we know, and um, there's different ways of multiplying time, adding staff, et cetera, right? So, I mean, you come up with a product, and you're able to refine that product over and, over and over again. Actually, you know what, I learned a lot by opening that food truck because I remember even those eight non kebabs that I sold, I remember thinking with each one that I made, each non that came off of that hand or side of that clay oven, each, you know, one that I built and handed off, each interaction that I had with that customer, I always wanted to make the next one a little bit better. So it, whether that non was better, you know, the, the you know every time I would learn, I would apply that to the next one, and you know, slowly it went from eight non non-kebabs to sixteen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to you know some cool, um, you know. Branding on the card and some, you know, Bollywood flair, which is kind of what we were known for. The food truck is coming back, by the way. Um, And then being able to refine that and that 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 led directly into that commercial kitchen space, which kind of gets back to that earlier question, which I I feel like I dodged a little bit. So, um, you know, like, I mean, having that, you know, having that food truck and then we were able to understand um, basically, I mean, like, you know, perfecting that food truck came came to a certain point. But then the kitchens really started taking over, right? Around that time, yeah. I mean, I, I, met my wife, I met my wife, on the food truck at a food truck, uh, food truck festival, um, and oh, then wow. we that's had, another yeah, podcast that,
1: episode for sure. We want to break that down, leave. play by play, yeah.
0: <laughs> then, we, then we had that. Uh, we had our daughter, and the very last event that we had done with that food truck was my daughter's baby shower, and um, she's almost five years old now. So, um, and the food truck coming back. So, I mean, it's it's just finished. It's going to be back at Gramble in Georgia soon with this massive oh. six-foot neon glittery sign, Bollywood all the way. Um, but I mean. I guess I'm muddled. I'm, ramb- I'm rambling all over the place again. But um, essentially, I mean, what happened was, I mean, we we started this food truck. We, we started doing this commercial kitchens. Um, the, the commercial kitchens really started to pick up, and we started to understand where the where the power of this model actually lay, right? So we, we we like I said, we grew some amazing brands out of that commercial kitchen right away. You know, we saw we see all the trends, right? We saw the bone broth trend. We saw the juicers. We saw the meal preps. Well, another thing that's unique with Commissary Connect, and it's not like the other commissaries, we only take one of each type of company. So we really try to focus. I mean, like I remember when i was in a commercial kitchen um you know i didn't want another indian food truck beside me like making butter chicken and you know giving me the stink eye if i got an event and they didn't get an event i mean so what we try sure. to do is right so we we like if we have a say an indian food truck we won't have another one uh not yeah. in that facility at all right i mean we may have it in another kitchen but i mean we won't have it in that same site oh, Sorry, you know like we won't have it in that same site right beside that person mm-hmm. what we really try to focus in on here is, is the growth of that of that company, you can you could cook anywhere, right? You could go find a community center, which is what people used to do before, or a church, um, where you'd, where a commercial kitchen would be before. But I mean, the, to be able to go into a kitchen space and know that those people have your back—they're not just some landlord that's going to stuff a whole bunch of people in. They really care about your business growing. And if it doesn't grow, you've tried it all, and you can walk away feeling proud of what you've done, right? That's really—we're uh, humans, right? Like we're all mm-hmm. trying. We're all trying to make it work, right? We're all like the last thing I ever want is for somebody to come into a commercial kitchen, have a terrible experience and not feel that they were supported and just get bounced out. I mean, that's not, mm-hmm. that's not how we want this model to run. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I
1: don't feel like you, you know, I don't feel like you dodged that question at all. I think to, su- to sum it up and please, you know, correct me if I'm paraphrasing here, but, but I think, you know, being solutions focused and having a high tolerance for pain, which includes, but might not be limited to sleeping on an air mattress on a construction site, you know, while you're, while you're cooking. Did it, I think those are the two main, main takeaways, right? Am, am I, am I correct in that uh, summary, Sarb? Would you agree I with that? I think
0: so. I think yeah. so. I mean, as, as, an entrepreneur, I mean, you, you, you don't take no for an answer, right? You keep moving. Mm-hmm. If, if there's a no in there. Okay. So I'll, I'll give you a little, I'll give you a, a, a little nugget here. Another, another little nugget. Okay. So when we started com- this commercial kitchen, being, a, being an accountant to being a CPA, I knew that the capital capital equipment was going to be our, uh, our, our issue, right? The capital equipment is always going to be a constraint. If you can manage those constraints of who uses what piece of equipment, when, maximize capacity, keep those, those appliances running all the time, it means the members are making more money because they're cooking more. Mm. It all works, right? I mean, everybody's tied into the program here. So um, I, I remember thinking, hey, listen, there's got to be a way of managing this piece of equipment. I only want to pay for those burners. or I don't want to pay for that smoker. How do I make it so that they know? Because I remember, I, I, I think I remember talking to the owners there and saying, well, I only use that one piece of equipment. They're like, well, how do you know? Uh, how do we know, right? It's the middle of the night and you may be using everything in here. Okay, well, there's got to be a way to do this. Um, and so when we started creating that technology, it was a, it was a buddy of mine uh, that, we, that we actually, we, we were at a house party one time having some drinks. I'm like, dude, I I got this idea, right? I'm going to create this commercial kitchen and I I need to make the technology do this. And this guy was a, um, I think he was a UBC student at the time, or maybe he just graduated. And we started like mapping it out. And I remember talking to the gas fitters and talking to electricians and said, listen, this is what I need to do. I need to be able to log in and give people access only to the piece of equipment that they're logging into. And I remember the gas fitters saying, no, there's nothing really like that out there. I don't think it's possible. And I remember standing there at that cook lane at 401 and I, my gaze went upward and I saw this gas heater that was up top. And I, well, I said, well, that does it, right? I mean, at a certain temperature, I mean, that solenoid turns on and that gas turns on and that's mm. how that works. So why can't I just make that work here? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that was very much, the uh, you know, an example of, oh, you can't do that. But to me, it was like, OK, hang on, no, if you can't do that or if that doesn't exist, yeah. then there's got to be yeah. a way of making that work yeah. and then putting some IP around it and building a business around it. Right. I mean, com- mm-hmm. it just happens that these are commercial kitchens could just as easily been anything else. I mean, that spirit, once you have that entrepreneurial spirit, you're going to keep moving. Right. I mean, you have that you have that inward light or that outward light or whatever it is that you're keeping. Just not enough. You know I mean like that, you know, a nine to five for some people is enough. Even sometimes, I mean, you know, this Drew as an entrepreneur. Sometimes we have a tough day and say, like, "Oh my God, it'd be so much easier just be an accountant. It's so much mm-hmm. easier just like walk home and not have to worry and maybe turn my phone off. You yeah. don't think the kitchen's gonna explode or you know something's gonna happen somewhere, right?" But I mean, that's that's not what we are. That's not the life that we that we chose, and that's not what our um, that's not where our, it, it, you know desires are. We yeah. we need that challenge. We need to build something. We need to grow. And for some people, it's not that, and that's cool that's cool for them but for some other people it feels like you know your spirit just needs to run needs to run somewhere Mm -hmm. to do something and building upon something that like you know we was an idea at one point and now has gotten to this you know this amazing stage it's cool man sometimes to look back and we are by no means done we're just getting started right i mean like we are just now gotten the ip that we've been working on for five years we are just now we have a working model and the, the, the relationships with the ministry and the governments and all these things that we've been working on for years and years and years telling them how this could work and this could make sense and now seeing 12 sites that are up and mm. having these amazing meetings with UBC I remember like I remember I would want to pinch myself when I'd have a meeting with the deans at UBC and, and with the minister you know of agriculture and I, mean, I still do I mean, I'm still very very blessed to have to have those conversations have those people in my network but you know what I mean? I mean, like, you start somewhere. You start in a food truck. You start anywhere. Yeah. Like, like each time, you just make that next unit or that next thing or that next idea a little bit better. Honestly, it just you just like once to say walking, it's like one step in front of the other. As long as you keep walking forward, you're gonna get somewhere. <laughs> That's kind of how it works.
1: Sarb, I, I got I think this is a perfect time for me to say, you know, there's a lot of people that are commenting on this show and enjoying the conversation. Where can people go to learn more about you, Sarb, and Commissary Connect and all the great work you're doing?
0: Well, it'd be great for all of you to follow us on Instagram. <laughs> our Instagram is at Commissary Connect. And to be honest, when I was, it's, it's, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek because all everything that we promote on, on our Instagram feed is our members. So we just promote all of the businesses and the cool stuff that they do. You can, of course, go to commissaryconnect.com. You can learn more about the stuff that we do there. Um, we have... Um, we have I'm sorry. Uh, we have more and more, um, you know, channels and, and, and social media outlets that we're kind of working with and, and get, to get the, the news out there of what we're working on. Um, so, you know, the website would be great. You know, our, our Instagram handle is at Commissary Connect. Um, and, you know, LinkedIn, I, all, all the places, really. I mean, or if you're all, looking for a commercial... Things. Or oh, if you're looking for a commercial kitchen space, I mean, yeah, please just, um, you know, just go online, book a tour. Um, our amazing uh, general manager, Jocelyn, would get in contact with you and hopefully we get you started. If you're looking to build a commercial kitchen space or an operation uh, like this, I mean, please get in touch. Um, you know, just just send something through our um um online channel what by that i mean probably just go to go to the website or i might as well just give my email address out directly (laughs) or go to sarb (laughs) at commissaryconnect.com and just email me like i said we're working with all the with all the amazing provincial food hubs we have a number of um of local partners um but I mean, you know, if, if you have a, 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 a site or if you have a city or a region that you think, hey, this would be really cool to activate this site and have some amazing entrepreneurs grow from here and have some really cool brands come out of this place. I mean, just let us know and we can kind of do all that heavy lifting for you and get something like that going.
1: Amazing. I, th- I can see the comments here. You're getting new followers uh, in real time a- as we speak. And your, your personal email is now out there for the masses, but th- this oh is goodness. I think you're going to get a lot of great insights and a lot of great people wanting to connect with you and your energy. And sorry, you know, we, this is a great conversation. Every conversation we have here on the Wellness Hub is always completely different. One question is always the same. I got to ask you, what is your favorite go-to meal? Ooh. <laughs> I, know it's t-
0: I know it's tough. <laughs> um... God, there's so many. But you know what? I would be lying if I didn't say that I'm really dying for some butter chicken today. Mm. I am, I I am think, at an I Indian think, reception. I think you're going to get it,
1: Sarb. I don't think it's uh, <laughs> just unreasonable ask. Yeah, <laughs> given where you are. I'm
0: loving, I'm loving that butter chicken, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Sarb, th- thank you so much for agreeing to come on, especially with your, your, your cousin's wedding and your phone troubles. Again, I knew you'd pull through. I knew the entrepreneurial spirit would shine through. And, and this was fantastic to share your story and your energy with all of our listeners. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much and hope you'll join us again soon.
0: Awesome, Drew. I would love to, man.
1: Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you, Sarb. Wow. Uh, I, As I mentioned, I love talking to Sarb because he's just a jolt of energy. Every time you speak to him, I, I mentioned it's like having a strong cup of coffee at the exact moment you need it. Having worked with Sarb and Commissary Connect personally, cannot be understated what an incredible impact that their shared kitchens have made across the lives of so many people. They are creating a space for the future of Canada's food pioneers to thrive. Hearing Sarb speak on being a CEO and talking in depth about the various businesses that he's helped incubate has revealed a really powerful insight, which is that ultimately, The true job of any leader or CEO is to uplift those around them. If a CEO is only as good as their team, then the CEO needs to make it their responsibility to support their team. I think many of us envision leaders as people who are confident and strong-willed and comfortable making key decisions. And while those are certainly traits of great leaders, I think it's important not to forget that leadership is about generosity. It's about humility. It's about the ability to recognize the individual strengths of your team members and set them up for success. I think that leadership in that sense doesn't have to be limited to a role or a job function. We all possess the traits and qualities that can make great leaders and we can be those people for our friends, for our family and for our community. So the question I'll leave you with today is what are you doing to uplift those around you? How do you support and bring out the best in the people in your life? What traits of leadership do you possess that you may not have otherwise realized? I think each and every one of us has the ability to be a great leader. The struggle may just lie in being able to see it within ourselves. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. If you'd like to see more great conversations like this, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe, and follow us on YouTube, Instagram, and LinkedIn at UpMeals. We'll see you next Wednesday evening right here on the Wellness Hub for another great conversation. Until then, I'm Drew Monroe. Take care and be well.